0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo Del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. And God, what we're asking you to do in light of this weekend, um, it is a privilege to speak. I need your grace to do it again. And we need eyes to see and ears to hear from your word. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to blow over this room, and I'm asking it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the story of God really gets started on page one with two people. God creates Adam and who? Eve, good, and he comes to him in Genesis 1:28, and he gives them the very first commandment in Scripture. And this is what it says: God bless him, God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply. And fill the earth. Now, this happens to be the very first commandment that God gives mankind in Scripture. If you think about it long enough and hard enough, it's also about the only one we've managed to keep. It's like, honor your father and mother. No thanks. Do not lie. No thanks. Have no other gods before me. No thanks. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Yes, Lord. You can talk about what that means later, okay? (laughs) But in fact, that's really what God's after. All jokes aside, that's what God wants. He says, Adam and Eve, I'm creating you, and I want you to produce. I want you to reproduce. I want you to grow your family and grow it big. And I want you to fill the earth and spread out. Now, here's why this matters. Here's why this is important. At this point in the story, there is no sin between God and mankind. They're living in a perfect relationship with one another. And so, in essence, what God is saying is, Adam and Eve, as you fill the earth physically, I want you to teach and train your descendants what it means to know and worship me spiritually. That's why I built you. That's why I made you and created you, is to know me and to worship me. And so, as you fill the earth physically with your descendants, teaching them and training them what it means to know and worship me, what you'll be doing is populating the earth spiritually with a planet full of people who know and worship me. However, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, what happens? Man sins, and we sever our relationship from God. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible says that every intention in mankind's heart was only set on evil all the time. Utter wickedness fills the earth, just six chapters into the Bible. And then in Genesis 7... God floods the earth, he basically hits the reset button, and he starts over with a second family. And in Genesis 9-1, God repeats the commandment. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and do what? Not even ten chapters into the entire Bible, twice already, God's commanded mankind to fill the earth, fill the earth, fill the earth. The command is clear. However, things have changed at this point. Sin has entered the picture in the story. And so things are different. And by the time we come to Genesis chapter 11, we come to this story called the Tower of Babel. And we are told 11 chapters into the Bible. Now the whole earth had one language and a common speech. So no matter where you went on planet earth, everybody was speaking one language. What was it? English. And as men moved (laughs) eastward, the Bible says that they found a plain in a place called Shinar and they settled there. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower that reaches up to the sky so that we might make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. God said, do what? Fill the earth. Fill the earth. God said, go. And mankind said, what? No. Now, you don't have to be a pastor or a theologian to figure out that this is what we call direct disobedience. Okay? It doesn't take a lot of interpretive work here. God says go, and mankind says no. And not only does God say go, and mankind says no, but God says, I built you to make a name for me. To make me famous in the world. And what's mankind do? (laughs) Hey, God. God, did you hear that? So that we might make a name for who? Ourselves. Doesn't it sound so familiar? Me, my agenda, and just a little bit of Jesus, if I can squeeze him in. That was me, Genesis 11. That was my on-ramp to college right there. Making a name for myself while I just Christianized it. Nothing's changed. Several millennia later, God says go, mankind says no. At this point, like I'm waiting to read in the story, the next verse says something like, God flicked them into the sun, right? Here's what it says. The Lord said, come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the tower. Now, before, everybody was speaking one language. What was it? Good. You're with me. You're awake. I love it. (laughs) Okay. Some of you are like, was it really? No, we don't know what it was. (laughs) Some of you are like, America. No. (laughs) No. Don't go off the rails, please. (laughs) We go from one language to multiple languages. In fact, this this is true fact, all the known languages in the world today, they actually come from this event right here. Okay, this is truth. Um, If you believe the Bible and you call yourself a Christian, then all the languages that are in the world, they come from this event right here. And so what happens is, is we go from one language to multiple languages. We go from one location to multiple locations. So all these different languages in the world... Um, English, uh, French, uh, Spanish, Mandarin. A Friend of mine's like, "Does rap count?" And I'm like, "That's so tacky." Um, and so, right? All seriously, all these languages in the world today—they literally come from this event. And so, here's why this matters. <clears throat> Let me pull the brakes just real quick—the emergency brake—and just remind us that in the last 11 chapters of the Bible, we've covered roughly 2,000 years of human history. Okay, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but God takes the first 11 chapters of the Bible to cover roughly 2,000 years of all human history. And then he turns around and he takes the next 14 chapters to cover the life of one man. You see the contrast? 11 chapters to cover 2,000 years of all of human history compared to 14 chapters to cover the life of one man. Now remember, what God wants is a people gathered to himself who know him, who praise him, and who worship him. So what is God going to do to gather the scattered? Well, we don't have to go far to find our answer. Just a chapter later, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. And Abram, I want you to go to the land that I'm going to show you. God's going to pick this one guy. The Bible tells us his name is Abram. The Bible also tells us that he is 75 years old when God interrupts his life and his agenda. Okay, 75. In America, we have a word for that. You know what it is? Some of you guys are thinking, old, aren't you? No, I'm not even going there. That would be disrespectful. (laughs) Retirement. Retirement. Now, some of you guys are like, yeah, 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 but Abraham's not retiring at 75. They lived a lot longer in those days. You're just looking for a way out, okay? (laughs) Put yourself in this guy's shoes. Sometimes we're so familiar with Bible stories that they just kind of become white noise, and we just roll right over the details. 75 years old. Who is looking to go, like to leave, right? Look what God says. Abraham, I'm commanding you to leave your people, your loved ones, and your land. The the two things that are the the most important things to you, your, your family, your loved ones, and the land that you're so familiar with, and go to a land that I'll show you. And God doesn't bother to tell him where he's going or how long he's even staying which I am convinced is the worst mission trip recruitment tactic you could ever use. Where are you going? I mean, can you imagine me throwing a sign-up sheet out here in the back and saying, hey, (laughs) we're taking a mission trip. Would you be interested in coming? Where are you headed? We don't know. How long are you staying? Indefinitely. Indefinitely. I got to get to the Chargers game. Sorry, right? No, who signs up for that? I mean, and so we just read these things. And sometimes we just roll over the fact that, man, what would it have been like for Abraham? Leave your land, your loved ones and go to a land that I'll show you. The command is clear. Are you starting to see this repeated theme? Fill the earth, fill the earth, go, leave, move out. But listen to what God promises him. This is where it gets good. Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation and bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. And Abraham, don't miss that yellow part down at the bottom. All peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. Abraham, I'm not out to wreck and ruin your life by commanding you to leave your land and your loved ones. I'm actually out to bless you. But the blessing isn't for you. You're being blessed to be a what? Blessing. It's coming to you because I'm moving it through you, Abraham. It's not for you. It's not for you, Abraham. Now, what is the blessing that God's talking about right here? Ultimately, what he's talking about is the gospel. God is going to bless Abraham with land. He's going to bless him with family descendants. He's going to bless him with material blessings. All that's coming, but that's not the ultimate blessing that God's talking about. The ultimate blessing that God's talking about right here, that all peoples on earth are going to be blessed through Abraham is the gospel. That's the ultimate blessing that God's talking about. And how do we know that? Because Paul tells us so in Galatians 3, 8, that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you, all nations will be blessed. That's what the blessing is. It's the gospel. It's that God is going to provide a way to fix what mankind messed up in Genesis 3 when we sinned. And he's going to do it Through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. okay, And that blessing is eventually going to make its way to all peoples, tribes, tongues, nations, ethnicities on the planet. So depending on what translation of the Bible you may read, it might say all peoples. It might say all families. It might say all nations. Bottom line, Abraham, the blessing is the gospel. It's coming down to you and through you because it's on its way to the ends of the earth. And so what God does is 12 chapters into the story, he hangs this promise. He hangs this promise out and says, "Abraham, through you all nations will be blessed." Not probably, not maybe, not hopefully, but what? Will. It's as sure as the sunrise. Period. It's a done deal. Abraham, I'm going to see this thing through. And what hangs off of this promise, you guys, the rest of the what? The rest of the story, the rest of the Bible. The rest of the Bible hangs off of this promise. And so, what we see is that through this promise that God makes to Abraham, God reveals his purpose to bless all nations through his promise. Say it with me God reveals his purpose through his promise. Get used to hearing me say it. I'm going to repeat it about a half a dozen more times. And so God's saying, Abraham, through you all nations will be blessed. He makes the same promise to Abraham's son Isaac, and he makes it to his grandson Jacob that all nations and all peoples are going to be blessed through this family. And so this family, Abraham's family, is kind of what we might call like the first missionary family in the Bible, if you will. And God's going to take this family and grow them into what nation? Israel, the nation of Israel. And with this family and with this nation, God is going to set his agenda in motion to start gathering all nations of the earth back to himself. Israel, you're going to be my chosen people, but it's for my chosen purpose. Let me say that again. Israel, you're going to be my chosen people, but it's for my chosen purpose. And what is God's purpose? To fulfill a what? Promise made to Abraham that all nations would be blessed. Now it's not the first sign that we see of this promise of salvation. The first sign that we get of it is in Genesis 3.15. Right? <clears throat> it's a big fancy seminary word for that. It's called the proto-evangelium. It just means the first gospel. So we get this first hint of the gospel in Genesis 3.15, but then we get a fuller expression of it in Genesis 12. That through Abraham, through the nation of Israel, all nations will be blessed. And so what happens is, is out of all the nations that God scattered at the Tower of Babel, God chose one nation to reach all nations. You hanging with me? Out of all the nations, out of all, right? At the Tower of Babel, we go from one language to multiple languages, from one people to multiple peoples. And then God picks one of them And says, through that one, I'm going to reach what? All of them. And so that's what we trace out in the Old Testament. Is God working in and through Israel to fulfill his purpose in a promise that he made to Abraham to bless all nations? Not just Israel. Is Israel God's chosen people? Yes. But they're chosen for his purpose. And that's to bless what? All nations. And so we see God fulfilling his purpose through his promise. Early on, I mean, we don't make it out of the first five books of the Bible, and we see God fulfilling His purpose through His promise in the giving of the Ten Commandments. Why did God give the Ten Commandments? There are several reasons. One of them was to show Israel and humanity, all of humanity, that we cannot keep God's righteous standards. It is impossible. We have to have a Savior. To save us from our sin and our rebellion and our inability to keep God's holy, righteous standards. So that's one of the reasons God gave the Ten Commandments. But listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy 4.6. There are additional reasons that God gave the commandments. He says, Israel, observe them carefully. For this will show your wisdom and your understanding to who? The nations. When God gave the commandments to Israel, he said, Israel, obey them. Israel's obedience to God was a reflection of God. Did you catch that? Israel's obedience to God was a reflection of God. And so when Israel did obey, right, which is rare, just read the history. Like we look at Israel and we're like, oh, silly Israel. When are they ever going to get it? Right. That's our natural tendency. Like we read the history of Israel and we're just like, oh, silly Israel. And what is God trying to say? Oh, silly what? Us. Israel is a picture of all of humanity. And so Israel didn't follow God's laws often, but when they did, Israel's obedience to God was a reflection of God. To who? The nations. There were global implications involved when God gave the law to Israel. It wasn't just for Israel. And that's how we often tend to think of it. Well, it was just for Israel. No, 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 no. God had the nations in mind. When Israel obeyed, the nations got a glimpse of what God was like. When Israel followed God's laws and followed God's statutes, the nations got to see that God was a generous God. He was a gracious God. He was a just God. He was a merciful God. He was an omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful God. And so we see God fulfilling his purpose through his promise right away in the giving of the Ten Commandments. Or how about the fact that Moses passes a baton to Joshua to lead the children of Israel into the Promised Land? We get four chapters, okay, four chapters into the book of Joshua. We got a new leader on the scene. And what does Joshua immediately remind the Israelites of? For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. Why, Israel? So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Israel, do you remember when God saved you out from under the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians? Oh yeah, Joshua, we remember it. It was, it was, it was amazing. In fact, it was so amazing that we sang a song of praise about it. Oh, how he loves us so Oh, how he loves us. Is that how it went? Some of you guys are like, he doesn't like David Crowder. (laughs) It's not personal, I promise. But isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that, man, they were singing this song, God, thank you for saving us. Nothing wrong with a praise like that. Don't, Don't hear me. Don't hear me wrong. There's nothing wrong with a praise like that. But what Joshua was telling the Israelites was, Israel, your salvation was not just for you. When God split the Red Sea, when God stopped the River Jordan, and he walked a whole nation through on dry land, it was so that all peoples might know who God was. It was so that the Egyptians might know that the hand of the Lord was mighty. You read through the book of Exodus, why did God bring ten plagues? Well, to get Israel out from under the hand of the Egyptians, but a half a dozen times, if you read through the book of Exodus, God says, I'm doing what I'm doing so that the Egyptians will know. And it's not just the Egyptians, it's the Canaanites, it's all those ites, I'm not going to go through them all, you're like, he's about to roll through all of them, I'm not. (laughs) All those ites, God is showing himself to them saying, I am the true God, because he's fulfilling his purpose through a what? A promise. And what was the promise? That all nations, Israelites, Canaanites, Egyptians, all those might know who God was because God is bringing a people back to himself from all peoples. Okay. God is bringing a people back to himself from all peoples of the earth. I mean, other examples. How about the story of David and Goliath? Who's heard of that one? Raise your hand. Just half of you. Did I come to the right place this morning? Who's heard of the story of David and Goliath? Okay. All of us. Why did God use David to slaughter Goliath? This day, David says, I will strike you down, Goliath. I will remove your head, give the dead bodies of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth. P.S. This story is rated R. Okay? It's really bloody. Seriously. I, I... I didn't grow up in church, um, and so when I went, I would often go with elementary school friends, and I'm just old enough that they still had these things called felt boards, right? Little characters, and everybody had a smile on their face. A friend of mine says that this right here, okay, and I'm serious. A friend of mine says, I think this is legitimate Jewish trash talk. I mean, you've got a 12 to 14-year-old boy telling this nine-foot killing machine that he is going to divide up his body and feed him to the animals. But why? Have you ever just paused long enough to say, man, why did, why did God do it that way? Why does God take this small shepherd boy and use him to kill this nine-foot giant? Is it so that we can make movies called Facing Our Giants? Some of you guys are like, easy, Sean. <laughs> we just watched that last night as a family. You're treading lightly, bud. <laughs> Is it so that we can make movies like that? No. Here's why. It was so that all the earth might know there was a God in Israel. Because God is working through a people to gather a people from all peoples. Israel, I'm working through you. To gather a people back to myself from all peoples. What kinds of peoples? Egyptian peoples, Philistine peoples, Canaanite peoples, all of these non-Israelites. I am gathering them back to myself as I work to reveal who I am through you. Israel, you're to be a light to the nations. And so we see God fulfilling his promise. His purpose through his promise, I should say, through examples like the Ten Commandments, the Red Sea, the River Jordan, David and Goliath. Solomon's wisdom and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his great wisdom. And when the nations showed up at Solomon's doorstep and they said, hey, we've heard that you're the wisest person on the planet. Tell us, King Solomon, what's the beginning of wisdom? What do you think he told them? The Beginning of wisdom is what? Fear God. Pledge your allegiance to that God, to the God of Israel. Do you see that this thing that we call missions is not just this New Testament idea, some afterthought that Jesus had before he went back up to heaven. It's the whole what? The whole book. I mean, I don't even have time to tell you guys about all these other stories like Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Naaman, the Syrian, the widow from Zarephath. How about the whole book of Jonah? Right? That... you, you We've heard Jonah, right? We have this story. <laughs> <You> guys, <clears throat> Dave and Goliath, yes, but that other one, no. Um, we have a little storybook Bible that we're trying to walk our two-and-a-half-year-old daughter through. And um, I, don't ask me why, but she loves the story of Jonah. And uh, every night she's like, Daddy, read me the story of disobedient Jonah. <laughs> and I am, not, I am not even kidding. If my wife was here to testify, she would bear truth to that. Read me the story of disobedient Jonah. And I'm like, Haven, could we read another story? (laughs) No, Daddy. Right, I mean, God's heart for the Philistines, the Egyptians, the Canaanites, the Ninevites, that group of terrorists. I mean, you guys think that ISIS is bad? The Ninevites would take their, their captives... And sometimes they would bury them in the sand with nothing but their head above the dirt. And they would ride chariots over them for fun. And God says, Jonah, stay right where you are. It might be risky. It may be dangerous. It might cost you something. <laughs> Just stay where you are. No, what's God tell him? Fill the earth. Fill the earth. Leave. Jonah, what? Go. So Some are like, I don't want to say it. God's really into going, by the way. I don't know if you realize that. It's like two-thirds of his name. He's, it's a big deal to him, okay? <laughs> and we, we, we are familiar with the story of Jonah, but, man, we do not want to talk about the fact that Ninevites, dangerous, deadly, threatening, go to him and tell him, Jonah, tell him the judgment's coming if they don't repent in 40 days. <laughs> Jonah just... What did Jonah do? Warmed up his hands and said, man, I've just been waiting for you to ask, God. No. He runs the other way. How how many other stories could we go through that we're familiar with? God has this heart for the nations because he's fulfilling his purpose through this promise to Abraham that all of them would be blessed. How about the book of Psalms? God's heart for the nations is mentioned uh, over 90 times by my count, over 90 times in the book of Psalms. There's 150 chapters. You just figure the math on that, right? 90 times, 150 chapters. That's almost once a chapter if you just break it down, right, purely speaking. How about Psalm 4610? Be still. You guys know the rest of it. How's it go? And know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. You guys did really well. Some of you are familiar with this verse right here. You know what's coming. I have been so fortunate, and I couldn't be more thankful that God has let me do what I've got to do for the last 10 years of ministry. To be with his people all across the country from different walks of life, different denominations, different backgrounds. But as I've traveled across the country speaking to thousands of Christians about God's heart for the nations, I've seen this verse plastered on everything you can possibly imagine. From Christian t-shirts to Christian coffee mugs to Christian decorations that hang up in our house, like that we hang on the walls, okay? Kind that we like hang in our bathroom, you know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> it's probably a good place to be still. Um <clears throat> be like, he didn't just say that, I did, I did. Things like this, decorations like this. Now, again, I know that I'm treading lightly because some of you guys got these in your house. Some of you women are leaning over, you like, honey, we need to go home and take that down. <laughs> Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Mist on the water, canoes, it's quiet, it's serene, it's peaceful. The only problem is that little subscript at the end right there. Psalm 4610, what? A, what's that all about? Well, there's a whole second half that says this, folks. (laughs) I will be exalted among the... And there it is again. Now, why is it that we... Some of you are like, there's a whole second half. We need to not only take the decorations down, we need to get out the Sharpie. (laughs) Why no second half? (laughs) Well, There's only so much white space. There's a bit of a bottleneck right there between the pine trees. It's kind of (laughs) tight. Something's got to what? Something's got to give. Welcome to American Christianity. And I don't say it lightly. I say it with grief in my heart. Because I wish it were different. I really do. I remember whenever I was learning this stuff, uh, you know, I I was so thankful for Sarah's vulnerability. Just like, man, you know, there was a stage in my life where I wasn't really excited about this stuff. And I'm not trying to throw you under the bus, but I just really appreciate it. I was the same way. Like, I, I didn't care about God's heart for the nations. It was nowhere on my radar. It was of zero interest to me. Out of sight, out of mind. And so I remember I took this class called Perspectives that you've heard Gary talk about, that, that your guys' church has hosted before, that I've had the chance to teach at. <clears throat> um, I took this class called Perspectives, had no idea what I was getting myself into. And I remember when I started learning about all this stuff, I thought I would go to a local Christian bookstore and, um, and try to do a little bit more homework on God's heart for the nations. And so I walk into a local Christian bookstore there in Arkansas I don't know how many of you guys have here in San Diego. I have to believe you have some, maybe none. I see somebody shaking their head. No, um, they're all over in, in Arkansas. They're a lot like Walmart or Target. Um, some of these big, you know, stores that retail stores that we have, Christian bookstores are like that in the Midwest and the South. They've got everything you need. It's like Christian house decorations, Christian clothing, Christian office supplies. They got Christian food. They got Christian, whatever you need, they got it. And so I went into this local Christian bookstore, asked the guy at the counter, can you point me to the mission section? And this guy said, I'm sorry, young man, we don't have a mission section because mission books don't sell. And I said, excuse me? And he's like, yep, there's not much of a market for them. They don't help keep the lights on. And I said, are you aware of the fact that you sell a video game in here called Dance Dance Praise? If you don't know what Dance Dance Praise is, just go look it up later. Okay, Christians have real weird things. (laughs) It's this video game where you lay this mat out on the floor and you tap your feet on it and wave your hands and you sing praise songs to the Lord and you score bonus points. It's wild. So you're like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Just go look it up on the Google. You'll know exactly what I mean. I was actually, true story. I was teaching at uh, San Diego Christian a couple years ago and this sweet little girl in the audience, she was like, I played it when I was a kid. It was so fun. And I said, were you homeschooled? And she said, I was. <sighs> True, true story. Man, why, why do I point out all this silliness? Because here's the deal. I walk into a local Christian bookstore to try to find a book on God's heart for the nations. And it's special order. From Genesis to Revelation, cover to cover, 1,500 times God mentions his heart among the nations from beginning to end. You go to a local bookstore just doesn't sell. And as we roll out of the Old Testament into the New, nothing changes. Jesus steps onto the scene, begins his public ministry. Jesus comes to his own. Jesus was a Jew. He came to the Jews. John chapter 1, but his own received him what? Not. And so he launches his ministry. Among Gentiles, like the Samaritan woman at the well, the healing of the Canaanites daughter, the centurion, her servant healed, excuse me. All who were sick in Gennesaret, the feeding of the 4,000 Gentiles. My house shall be a house of prayer for all what? Nations, God says. Fully man, fully God, Jesus steps onto the scene and he begins to fulfill the promise made to Abraham that all nations would be blessed. Where Israel failed, Jesus prevails. And so what does this tell us about today? Well, Jesus never went on a mission trip, right? Never went overseas, so to speak. But he was engaged in reaching the nations in his backyard. And God is bringing the nations to our backyard today. They're here. Just look around. Just look around. This is a friend of mine named Hussein. Hussein was from the country of Mauritania. If you don't know where Mauritania is, it's in Northwest Africa. It's 99.9999% Muslim. He came to the University of Arkansas, a devout Muslim. He was looking for friends who were moral and who were righteous. And lo and behold, he actually found some Christians. He actually found some Christians. He befriended them. And these Christian friends said to him, Hussein, would you ever be interested in just reading the Bible with us and talking about it? And Hussein said, I would love to read the Bible and talk with you about it. And so some of my friends in northwest Arkansas Began to just reach out to Hussein, invite them into, right, invite him into their home, right? He's a Muslim from a threatening, terroristic country. And they said, no, 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 we're not going to buy into that. We're going to invite him into our home, and we're going to ask him if he wants to be our friend. We're going to love on him like we love on our own neighbors. And we're going to see if he wants to talk about spiritual things and talk about Scripture. So they began reading through the Bible with him. They began explaining to him who the prophets were, major and minor prophets, And all of a sudden, a miracle happens. And through reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit opens up Hussein's eyes and causes him to be born again. And this guy can articulate the gospel better than most American Christians that I know. I was a slave to my self-righteous Islamic works, and I have been set free through the death and the resurrection of Christ. Everything that I couldn't do Hussein says, Christ, what did? And my hope is in him, and I will spend eternity forever with him. Now, why do I share Hussein's story with you guys? To simply say that God's brought the nations to our backyard. And so while we certainly need to think about going, why don't we start by sticking out our hand and welcoming the ones who are what? Here. And don't complicate it. Just bring them into your home. Ask them if they want to dine with you. And ask them if they would be interested in learning more about who God is through the Bible. Through Jesus Christ. And so we see even in the life and ministry of Jesus, not only did he model it, but he went on and he mandated it. Go and make disciples of all nations. And what God promised Abraham in Genesis 12. Promise made in Genesis 12 and in Revelation 7, 9 promise what? Kept. John gets a vision of what heaven's going to one day look like. And he says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. And they were from where? Every tongue, every tribe, every people, every language, all nations, standing around the throne, worshiping the Lamb. What did God want? A people gathered to Himself from all peoples. And what does God get? Just that. From Genesis to Revelation, God has a heart for the nations. And if we call ourselves believers and Christians, This should matter to us. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't, we should be concerned. So I would invite you to stick around with us this afternoon as we talk more about what it looks like for God to change our hearts and for how we get involved. God is going to see this thing through to the end. And the question we got to ask ourselves and the question I had to ask myself was simply this. Am I on board? Let me pray. Father, thank you for a chance to share. Lord, I pray that you would work through this weekend, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.